90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Just got out of a parent-teacher conference. (laughs) Oh, so you get to be on the other side of the table. Oh, man, it's so weird and funny. (laughs) (laughs) yeah um those are it's so strange to like see this glimpse of like what other people think of your child I mean especially after COVID and we spent so much time together it's so it's very interesting because like I feel like my son I don't try to push science because I know that I have an overbearing personality news to everyone (laughs) and everything so I try not to like push it really hard but his science teacher was telling me how much he talks about geology and it just made my little heart so happy (laughs) and then she told me how much he talks period which is too much and he gets in trouble but (laughs) don't you sometimes wish that at the at the university that there were still parent teacher conferences for you to sit on the the other side of the table at (laughs) man oh my goodness i mean there's two 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 thoughts about that yes but also i have received a disturbing amount of emails from parents for seniors in geology so you know yeah not appropriate but still yes i would love to especially today when we had exams and both of my classes and so many students were so unprepared i had one guy come up to the front of the room and said can we just not take the test today and i said why like he and he goes well i just don't really want to Wow, see, there's where you need to have a student-teacher conference where (laughs) you need to say, you need to be serious, Uh, or don't be in this course. I said, wow, that, I mean, kudos, I guess, for walking up here and trying that, like, and really, that probably would have worked on me if it was like a 10-person class or less, but I was like, no, dude, there's 40 people here, that's dumb, sit down. He's like, oh, man, (laughs) okay. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's been, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's been an interesting day. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> oh, it's been been going along. Uh, you know, I always, as a scientist, I like that things are, in theory, at least reproducible. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I've had a couple of disturbing occurrences this week. Oh, no. <laughs> of... <laughs> Yeah, trying to set up and run apart, and it doesn't work at all. It bombs. It the machine binds up all kinds of things. Just to put the exact same setup back on the machine today and run twenty four flawless operations. <laughs> See, I think people need to hear that. You know, that's that whole thing. People need to hear that stuff. And you know, I think maybe we did a couple of minor different things, all of which should be almost inconsequential. So I'm thinking maybe it's some of several small things that cause this. Or as uh, we were discussing uh, with some of the the folks I work with, you know, maybe it's the fact that Mars is closer right now and we can only make these parts (laughs) once every few hundred years. Oh, I love it. (laughs) I have been totally geeking out over this. And I took my daughter outside because she kept asking to see Mercury and I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And I was like, did you guys talk about Mars at school today? Because her teachers are super nerds. I love them so much. 
And she was like, yeah, yeah, Mars. And so we go outside, and I felt really bad because she was like, where is it? I'm like, it's there. It's that awesome red thing up there. And she's like, the planet? I'm like, yeah, it's right there. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm sorry. It's that dot that's way out there that looks like a star that's kind of like pink. And she's like, oh. <laughs> So I think she was like expecting like Alderon sun sort of like the moon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I felt so bad because I remember going to Capulin Volcano when I was little with my dad and I was probably seven. And he said we we're gonna go to this volcano and we we're gonna hike up to the top. And I <laughs> was so excited. And then we get up there and if you've been to Capulin, you would laugh oh, yeah. laugh like John just laughed. <laughs> And I remember looking down there and I'm like, where's the lava? Are you kidding me? And it was like the most, I'm surprised I'm a geologist because, <laughs> because of that disappointment. <laughs> so yeah, she totally had it with Mars. I felt real bad, even though I'm still excited and go out and gaze at it every night. <laughs> right. Well, and, and then the, the other interesting occurrence that we had, and this was a soapbox that unfortunately everybody else in the shop had to listen to the five <laughs> minutes of. Oh, uh, I couldn't get a uh, a piece of software, a driver to work like it is advertised to. Mm-hmm. And upon reading some of the manufacturer's forum responses, their response was, well, it just doesn't like some pieces of hardware. You might have to try reinstalling it, and sometimes that makes it happy. That's almost verbatim what the post said. <laughs> And your went your anthropom anthro oh my gosh what's the word anthropomorphizing software you you went crazy because they did that well my my reaction was you know straight out of short circuit it doesn't get happy <laughs> exactly. it doesn't get mad it doesn't get angry it just runs programs <laughs> I was like no this is a terrible terrible excuse. For we have written a bug that we cannot yep, find. Figure out. <laughs> oh, and it just man. makes me so angry. Instead of admitting that, okay, yeah, there's a bug. We're having trouble finding it, but yes, there's a bug. Maybe here's a workaround, or maybe not. Think yeah. it just doesn't like some device. That just. <laughs> I wanted to jump through the screen. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh man, that's great. <clears throat> cool. That's like, I mean, imagine doing a, a strat column and somebody doing that to the rocks in the strat column. Hey, I've drawn lots of faces on rocks before. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to the wrong girl about this. <laughs> or being like, well, you know, this is, this is fine grained, but um, it's coarse grained. Yeah. That rock is not happy with you right now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah, just or don't... putting it, you know, marking everything as possible sandstone and just. One hundred percent, I've graded that paper before. <laughs> or when you say angular to rounded, yeah. <laughs> yep. Right, but you know, so as the terrible segue, I'll say. Speaking of these ephemeral type things. <laughs> That was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) You had suggested that we talk about Playa Lakes, which I'll be honest, is not something I had thought much about. And after learning some things about them, was somewhat surprised at their role. 
Uh, to be honest, I have no idea why I thought about these. <laughs> Other than the fact, um, no. No, there's no idea. I guess uh, a, one of our <laughs> office staff bought some Halite. Maybe that's what gave me the idea. I don't know. Not like bought table salt. Like bought a super awesome like specimen of Halite. <laughs> Ah, okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> not boring old halide. It was this great pink thing with all these awesome cubic pieces. Um, and I don't know. I just thought maybe we should talk about flyas. There's a lake guy I want to get on the podcast. I think maybe that's where it came from, too. It was a combo of those two things. And I thought, oh, let's talk about salty lakes. <laughs> all right. So these are ephemeral, generally high plains little lakes that you know it says that there's some up to 800 acres uh, i found the average size of a playa in texas is 15 acres okay and i mean not all of them are high plains um a lot of them are high intermountain areas too right like the, the playas that i i don't want to talk about texas playas gross <laughs> so a lot of my field work is in Nevada and there it's littered with playas everywhere. Um, I don't think you know that was a graduate class, so you wouldn't have taken it. Um, we went to, we take a field trip to Death Valley in um, our upper division plastics class and it's just amazing. Playas there are really cool. So I, I find them interesting because when you talk about drainage and lakes and all this stuff, these playas form in these little undrained basins. And it's weird to me to think how many of these areas, these un, these sort of areas where you have these drainage basins aren't like going directly to the ocean. How many of these little artificial base levels there are that you can create all these lakes? Right, because what do we say in intro classes when we tell all the lies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you know you got you got a continental divide everything over here goes to the atlantic everything over there goes right. to the pacific like, <laughs> that's it and then you learn that the great basin the entirety of like utah and surrounding areas drains inward and not at all towards the ocean <laughs> so yeah i think that's really a weird thing that when you start to think about hydraulics and hydrology that occurs and these playas have some really cool sedimentation going on in them too. Which is why you mentioned halite, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. And maybe that's why I started thinking about them too. Um, so these weird closed basins, you know, they form in these arid environments. So you just said Texas, Texas, West Texas is super arid and super, I, I don't, halite <laughs> I mean, salty, <laughs> evapority. That's the word I meant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like there's these white deposits everywhere. And a lot of these are evaporites and they form from evaporation. One of the easiest definitions to get <laughs> on intro. And right. I mean, a, a lot of that's like meteoric water, but some of it has some groundwater influence too. Um, but as these things evaporate, they leave behind all these crazy salts that I don't know a ton about. 
Right. So you get some interesting deposits. You get this relatively seemingly innocent feature, though. You know, it's, okay, so I got 15, 20, 30 acres of a, a shallow inland lake that's not connected to anything. But as it turns out, they're actually really important both to aquifer recharge and irrigation, uh, but also to things like birds. Yes. Mm -hmm. A huge deal to birds, right? Uh, the water in the desert, you know, this is, this is where you get it. It's nasty water, but it's water nonetheless. Is there a big deal about birds and playas through Texas? I know Texas is a big migratory area. Yes. So over a quarter of a million birds are generally in the Playa Lakes region at any time. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. So the birds really care about these things. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what I found was the most interesting is that uh, like everything else that's important to the ecological uh, system that it's in, we're doing our best to destroy it. <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. Um, what are we doing to plies? The plies I go to, no one's ever there, but I, can, I imagine other big plies that are getting, I don't know, harvested to death, maybe. But what else? Yeah, so if, you, if you're a farmer and you're in an arid environment and you see this thing, that's holding a lot of water and may not necessarily be salty. Uh, some might be, some might not be. You might say, well, I would like that to hold more water. So you get your backhoe in there and you dig it out. And then you use that as a irrigation pond or as a pond to water cattle. And because a lot of this was done many decades ago, and what we didn't know then were poor farming and grazing practices uh, have caused pretty significant erosion and sedimentation problems, you know, movement of sediment where we don't want it to be from where we want it to be. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these actually get sedimented in and can't hold water anymore. Ugh. Okay. Yep. Cool. Which is a yeah. problem in those areas because of these bird migrations, too. It's a problem because of the bird migrations, and it's a problem because these are filters for the water that's recharging the Ogallala, which is, you know, we've talked about it before, a huge millions of people depend on it resource. I think it's, isn't the Ogallala the largest aquifer in the world? I don't know about the world. I do know about the U.S. Oh, no, it's 100% the largest in the U.S. I think it's it's one at the top in the world. Um, and this part of Texas is a terrible place for the Ogallala. Like, it's getting sucked dry. There's, like, um, I think it's up to 8 to 10 meters of subsidence or something in the groundwater table. Just from yeah, I mean, stuff. you're looking at a place that's got less than 20 inches of rain a year, and we grow a lot of crops there. A ton of crops there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I've never thought of... This is so interesting to me when we pick these topics, and you always come with this weird stuff that I never thought about. 
Um, <laughs> because I never think about Playa Lakes. I think about like classic Playa Lakes in Nevada. I never think about, sorry, Nevada. I've been corrected so many times by people from there. Um, <laughs> I never think about Playa Lakes in Texas at all, but I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, whereas that's, you know, I occasionally get to travel down to West Texas to see uh, some mutual friends. Mm-hmm. And yeah, see a lot of these lakes on the flight in. And I mean, these, speaking of the flight in, <laughs> I mean, these birds, you know, they remember these lakes and they count on them as stops. And it's a huge deal if they get sedimented in and disappear and aren't available for the wildlife. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's not good. Hmm. That's very interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of, so uh, as the bottom of these Playa Lakes of Texas, you get a lot of clays. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, they, they dry up and that clay cracks and then it recharges later if, if we haven't destroyed it. Uh, the water flows down through the cracks into the aquifer and gets filtered and all of that. Then the cracks swell shut and the lake gets to fill. Yeah, it, there's this whole cycle that not only uh, recharges the aquifer, but that all the wildlife depends on, that the farmers depend on. And the second they go in there and start digging out that clay to increase the reservoir capacity, it's all over. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, ugh, that's terrible. Just terrible. They don't get, they don't get destroyed like that out west as much <laughs> just because there's no one there to... to to steal from them (laughs) the the population density of west texas is high compared to where you're talking about yes it really is (laughs) but i mean those same sort of things happen just what you said you know there's still clay rich sediments out there and they get desecrated and mud cracked and you get all this awesome this thing that i love i didn't know how much i love fluid dynamics i think until this podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it definitely wasn't in dynamics class, but <laughs> um, but capillary wick action where you get, you know, like sucking from the groundwater table up through um, all of those sediments. And then you deposit all of those salts that the ions in the water are sitting out there um, on the surface of these playa lakes when they're in their various stages um, of being filled up. And so that, that groundwater is still important to Playa Lakes further west. And definitely some of them are being sucked up for usage elsewhere as population centers grow. Right. So that's not, that's not good, too. Um, but those surfaces of, that, of the Playa Lakes... Just like you said, well, the sedimentation you're talking about is a little bit different, but they're still really active. You know, they have all these, they have all these climatic indicators, right? So if you see a mud crack and then it gets filled up with salt in between the little polygons of the mud crack, um, you know something immediately about what type of environment that is. So this is kind of why Playa Lakes are really interesting because they're really good paleoclimate indicators, just their existence in the first place, but then also the layers of sediments that get deposited during their cycles. Um, I read a thing when we were when I was looking this stuff up that was saying that a lot of the 
Playa Lakes in the southern part of Nevada and where like Death Valley is and stuff. Um, during the last glacial period, they're actually like marshes, which is really interesting. And then they dried up. All of them dried up about 8,000 years ago. And since then, they've been these perennial or ephemeral lakes like you were talking about before. So they're not always lakes. Sometimes they're just flat, gross, salty mud. But then after the storm seasons out there, they flood and turn into these big playa lakes. Have you ever been to Bonneville Flats? I have not. I would love to. Uh, so the one time that I've been there, there was like five to ten inches of water over the whole thing. Hmm. Yeah, it looked like a mirror. It was really crazy, but I was also disappointed because I couldn't really go out there. It was very sad. Well, and, you know, I found that depending on who's doing the classifying, uh, some folks had even classified Playa Lakes as a wetland. Yes. If that's the only box they had to put it in. Yeah. Uh, and when I teach about rivers, and when you talk about rivers, you talk about braided rivers or meandering rivers, but most things exist in between that spectrum, right? Those are just the end rivers. Oh, yeah. And I thought about this too, because one of my places um, that I go to in Nevada, it, the lake there is very oasis-like. It's real marshy. There's lots of animals and everything, but then the lake one valley over is this desiccated vegetation free playa and it's very interesting to me that lakes also exist in this continuum and i don't think about lakes being that dynamic just because it's not what i do right so i thought that was really interesting too well as uh as one of the folks that works with me in the shop has said he was like you know one of the things that i learned from working here is that nothing is actually simple <laughs> Like, everything has a lot of nuance and complication. I love it when I tell my intro class, I'm like, I'm really lying to you when I just answered that or gave you that factoid. And I guess you'll have to become a geologist to figure out why. Well, I don't remember what it was the other day. They said, um, you know, hey, you know, do we know about thing X? And I was like, I'm sure we know about it. I'm sure there are multiple PhD theses on <laughs> thing X. Mm-hmm. And probably none of them contain the thing we need to know. Uh, Uh, because we you know if you look at anything deeply enough we 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 don't know yeah yes exactly (laughs) i think this was last semester it was the best ever so i'm saying all this stuff and some guy in class is like so you tell me you people don't know this i was like yeah we don't know and he's like what do scientists know I was like, a good one knows the things they don't know. Exactly. I was like, that's what I find reassuring about science. He's like, that's scary, man. <laughs> that's exactly what he said. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we can't solve all the equations for flight either. But yeah, there we go. <laughs> we still got airplanes. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on this show is also a very unsolved feature of a playa speaking about Death Valley, is this little racetrack playa and the little rocks that move across the, the playa, the sailing stones or whatever. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you love those, so I'll let you tell why that happens. <laughs> well, so they you see these rocks, and they've got 
what look like skid marks behind them. They look like they just, you know, came in hot and <laughs> and hit the ground and screeched. Uh, and for a long time, we didn't know why. Then there were camera setups. I think the wildlife cameras were some of the first ones used. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as it turns out, you know, there, oh, there's all kinds of, I remember some of the theories people were putting forward about, like, well, it freezes, the backside's shaded, and the sun comes up and melts the front first. And there are all these ways to, like, ice wedge and inch this forward. Mm-hmm. And yep. I, a lot of very creative ideas. Oh, yeah. And, and this is in, if you haven't looked up Racetrack Playa, um, you should. That's what it's called, right? Um, it doesn't have, you know, water in it very often. It's really like there's those little marks that John was saying, and it's just mud cracks everywhere, right? So even yeah. to know, like, how much water is available for all these crazy theories, it's hard to tell. And then, you know, well... Occam's razor. It's just wind. <gasps> so there's just enough water. <laughs> yep. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, water, water, and wind. And it's like and the, Earth. the frost <laughs> thing is still in my mind because it was such like a that seemed like the best answer to it. It really did. That's what I was. I had bought into the frost idea. I mean, it just seems weird. These rocks being pushed by wind across across this old playa but yeah yeah that is racetrack playa so you should look that up if you haven't before because that's very interesting playa and gives you an idea of what that looks like um we probably should just made this a death valley show because that's basically all i'm going to talk about (laughs) (laughs) so in that playa in racetrack playa like the water is not quite near the surface but there are some areas when you go to death valley um man is it bad water I think it's bad water um, where you go. And there's actually, so this is just down from Zabriskie Point is Badwater Basin. And there's water there a lot of the time. And it's because a lot of these playas form not just from these like sheets of water that get shed off of the mountains and get collected in these drain, not drainage basins, collected in these undrained basins but some of these plies form because of the fluctuation in the water table is so near to the surface it actually hits the surface during sometimes and this bad water basin is one of those one of those places i mean it's also you know 232 feet or something like that below sea level so there's that too um <laughs> but it's surprising how much water is in this area in this playa all the time have you ever been out there no i haven't yeah it's it's real juicy and stinky and hot <laughs> as you can imagine <laughs> um right. but yeah so some of these ply lakes actually form like a river would form somewhere else by intersecting the water table but since it's an undrained basin it's this high mountain basin where everything's draining to the center or not high in the terms of bad water basin it just sits there, and these are the playa lakes. And because there's so much evaporation, you get all these salt deposits too. So, hmm. yep. yeah, okay. Um, now the salt deposits, though, if you want to just talk about the geology, that stuff's pretty cool. I obviously evaporates aren't my area of study, but there is um, 
these super cool studies done by Kathy, Dr. Kathy Benison and her group about halite crystal growth and not looking at Nevada, looking at other evaporites from deep time in the rock record. But I mean, when we talk about sediments and sedimentation, the hard part is <laughs> figuring out, you know, whether you have any, God forbid, paraconformities, right? You want to know like, where do I have time missing? What does the sedimentation look like? Because you need water to deposit sediments. And sometimes there's not always water. And so when there's not water, then you're missing all these time gaps. And we just want a rock record that is complete, right? <laughs> like, right. Why are there so many gaps? You just want something that's complete. But you can look at these halite crystals, just these individual crystals that are growing in these playas. And this is a really complete record. It's not on geologic time scale. It's actually on like a daily time scale, which blows my mind. <laughs> right. And we've talked about some other things that can be on those kind of time scales before, but I really do like those really fine time markers. It, it, right. It's so unusual to get, right? I mean, it's unusual to get like a date in geology in general. Like relative dating is easy. Exact dating is hard. Um, but to be able to, so what their group has done. So as these little salt crystals grow, right? Evaporation is really high. You've got all this capillary wick action, bringing all these little salt crystals. And as soon as you have little nuclei for them to, to start to grow on. So in this case, usually little silts or something like that. So cloud condensation nuclei, but for minerals. Which are <laughs> salt in coastal regions. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a circle of life. <laughs> so as these salt crystals grow, they incorporate little bubbles in them. And this happens with a bunch of minerals. This isn't just salt, but the ones we're talking about. And those little bubbles are filled with the water or the brine that they are sitting there and it's being evaporated around them, right? So within these little salt crystals, you get these things that we call fluid inclusions, so Kathy Benison's group has looked at fluid inclusions and halite from the Permian. And when you look at this, and there's a link in the show notes to one of her uh, early papers here, and you can see these little growth, daily growth bands in these halite crystals. And you can look at these fluid inclusions and you can determine the brine temperature, which has to be pretty close to the air temperature. So basically you have like a high temperature reading from 280 million years ago. Wow. It's weather. It's Permian weather. That's so amazing to me. Like, I, how cool is that, right? Yeah, I mean, talk about climatology. Exactly. <laughs> like, you're not, you're not even doing that? Yeah, you're just like, I can give you a weather forecast from a week in the Permian. Here you go. Here it is. It's not a forecast anymore, I guess. But <laughs> Right. <laughs> Observations. Um, yes, yes, exactly. I think that is so cool. So that's something that evaporites can do for us. <laughs> and a lot of these evaporites are growing in places like, you know, these playas. So you can look at these playa lake evaporites that are happening today and figure out sort of those growth rates. And you can go back and look at all these evaporites we have in the rock record and say, look, this is uniformitarianism. We looked at how they grow today, and we can, you know, extrapolate that back and 
look at this fluid inclusion and say, hey, this is what the temperature in Kansas was yeah, 380 million years ago. That's pretty yeah. neat. And in this paper, there's a lot of really cool SEM images of this too. So, hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. But speaking of climate, there's more they can do than that. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a lot of the Playa lakes in the western part of the U.S. are in these huge undrained basins are leftover. Actually, they're leftover glacial lakes from the last ice age. Okay, and we've talked about glacial lakes on here before, but more current ones. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, glacial lakes get held in place by glaciers, right? Right. <laughs> and so during the last ice age, it was really cold. And things like, and I'm sure we can get somebody to talk about just this, but just to mention it, because this is where the playas are now. Like the Great Salt Lake. I mean, that's leftovers of Lake Bonneville, which was a massive lake. Um, and it was built from ice dams. And so there were these ice dams and huge amounts of water in this. Because as John's talked about a lot before, you know, these glaciers have a lot of actual liquid water in their systems too. Um, and so there are these huge lakes that were put in place by the ice dams, ice melts. Most of the lakes go away, but what's left behind are these basins and some salty water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are also dammed by lava. So lava from, there's lots of lava going on and lots of volcanic activity in the early Cenozoic in the southwest as well. And um, there's some playas that are in between these lava dams that have since been eroded away. So that's really cool too because these lakes leave behind this paleoclimate sedimentation that we can look at. And it's good preservation now because it's an arid climate. And you get sort of, not a complete record, but a very good record. Um, of sort of high-resolution climatic data. Hmm. Yeah. You never it's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, and this is, you know, you said I bring an angle, so I'm thinking about, like, Texas and irrigation. <laughs> Not at all about climatic <laughs> records stored in salt crystals. Uh, it's the temperature from a day in the Permian. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, look, we both learned something. Um, do you know about these weird zombie frogs and stuff, though? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I don't know about this. I would love if someone would write in to tell me more about this. Um, because I just knew I needed to include it. There are animals in the playa because the playas evaporate. And they're ephemeral. And when there's water, there's stuff living in water. Because that's what things on Earth do. But when there's not, I call them zombie frogs. I don't know if anybody else does. Um, these things will, like, bury themselves in the earth under the playa and just, like, go into this stasis and hang out until water shows up again, like, a year later. Hmm. Isn't that creepy? Sounds like the, uh, the Trisolarans. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Super weird. Um, yeah. one more playa. Have you been to Great Salt Plains State Park? I have not been there either. I haven't been there either, which is very embarrassing. 
Um, because we have our own playa in Oklahoma, which is closer to like the playa regions you were talking about. Um, and you can go dig gypsum crystals. Yes, exactly. And our gypsum crystals are super cool because they incorporate the sand that's, you know, the base of the playa. And then as it evaporates and it forms this gypsum and these gypsum crystals grow and they have time to grow, they incorporate that sand into their crystalline structure and it makes it look like these weird hourglasses. So it's this clear gypsum crystal with these like dark brown sandy X's in it. It's really neat. I always thought I was going to go out there when I lived in Oklahoma and never made it. (laughs) (laughs) I've never done it either, which is super embarrassing. Well, there we go. We're going to have to have a field trip. We absolutely are. We'll do live reporting from the... (laughs) Well, you you know, Shannon, while we're there, we might want to uh, check out the wildlife and some of what they're up to as well. (laughs) Maybe not all of the wildlife. Some of it's scary. (laughs) Yeah, which brings us to everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. (laughs) Did you love this one? Where did did you find it? (laughs) I don't know if you got my email at 2 (laughs) a.m. I was surfing the internet (laughs) in the middle of the night because my daughter had woken up and I was trying to put her back to sleep. And I came across this paper about deer eating people. So, white-tailed deer as a taphonomic agent, (laughs) guessing there on that, uh, photographic evidence of white-tailed deer gnawing on human bone (laughs) by Meckel et al. Yeah, it's... It's weird. So it's this is even grosser when you keep reading it, right? Um, these body farms that they set up, you know, so you can see how people decompose over time and like what happens to them. Uh, this is where they found this. So this is in the Journal of Forensic Sciences. No surprise there. <laughs> From a couple of years ago. And it's through, I don't remember... Isn't it Texas University, Texas State University? Which Yes, it's in San Marcos. Mm-hmm. And so they've got this body farm, and they've got game cams set up on some of these bodies because they actually want to see it. So you let them decompose, and you go out there and match, you know, these rodent prints to this rodent because you got them on the camera. And they look, and there's a deer with a rib bone sticking out of its mouth, and I quote, like a cigar. Yes. They even admit that it's a pretty funny... And in figure two, the second picture, (laughs) the deer is looking straight at the camera with this human bone hanging out of its mouth. A huge bone hanging out. That's crazy. And they said, like, they never... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It was real clear, it said, from the bones, that it was deer that were gnawing on them but it said that there were um there's been some documentation of deer gnawing on bone maybe to get minerals but never people right and you know these pictures they're not they're not that gruesome the body is basically gone it's just bones in the Mm -hmm. picture um but 
you know, they say that in some of these studies, they actually put a cage over the body because they want to keep animals out. They just want to observe the decomposition. Uh, and then some studies like this one, they don't put a cage on and see who comes to eat. <laughs> and in this case, uh, vultures were first, removing most of the soft tissue. Not, Not surprising. Yep. Um, but they, they say that, like you said, that some of these animals, they they sort of break the bone open uh, to try to get at what's inside, you know, all that marrow, uh, to get uh, phosphorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they, they break it open, and they rotate it 90 degrees in their mouth like a cigar, and, <laughs> you know, suck that phosphorus out. <laughs> so I never even thought about this, but, like, the way that they rotate it that 90 degrees to get to that is, like, an ungulate thing. Um and it says, you know, that it's possible that maybe some of these ungulate nine marks have been mistaken archaeologically um, for, as carnivore marks. But maybe they were just deer that were, you know, eating bones. <laughs> if you don't have Flintstones vitamins. Exactly. Maybe you've got the Flintstones. <laughs> um yeah so i mean it's a really short paper and i it doesn't have much to say except for hey we've never seen this before so here's these pictures of this though there are an alarming number of citations <laughs> for such a short paper <laughs> uh-huh yeah i mean a lot of them weren't necessarily things that i wanted to keep going into i don't remember what one what fun paper we had the other day that i really wanted to see read all of the things that were cited um but these are like you know vultures eating bodies and stuff like that that wouldn't be bone chewing by rocky mountain bighorn sheep is a paper i would i would read right. <laughs> and that's by uh keating 1990 mm -hmm. uh, yep. just for anybody who wants to go look that one up yep exactly <laughs> and yeah there's quite a bit in here some of it about uh, bone chewing habits some of it about deer and how they get their minerals um, and then some of it about just body decomposition vultures and other things that mm -hmm. are coming to to pick the flesh out and two pictures of deer smoking bones <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that one where he's looking right at the camera is really great i mean there's another one where he's just walking by with this Human rib, white-tailed deer holding a human rib in its mouth. <laughs> so, yeah, good times. Yeah, there you go. Well, if you've got photos of wildlife carrying suspect bones like a cigar in your backyard or anything else to contribute to the study of undulate consumption of bones, <laughs> Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? I'm not checking the email. I don't want to see these pictures. Uh, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at Shannon Doolin and at geo underscore Lehman. Together we're at don'tpanicgeo. Um, <laughs> put all your ungle at bone nine pictures in our Slack channel. <laughs> we're with the software underground on the don't panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for supporting us. If you would like to give so we can get more people to talk about Deers that eat people on the podcast, you can do so. Patreon.com slash don't panic geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. 
It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.